You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Welcome back to the Stateside Podcast. Today we have a very special guest, a friend of mine, a colleague of mine, a co-owner of Stateside Management, booking agent and co-owner of Sound Talent Group. Welcome to the show, Matt Anderson. Hey, James. Thanks for having me. Yeah, buddy. How's it going? How are you doing? How are you feeling? It's good. Yeah? Tours are playing out. Things are busy, busy. It's all... uh it's all feeling good. It's a crazy time right now. That's so good to hear. Um, speaking of that, how, how do you feel about this kind of post-COVID, you know, status that we're in? I mean, COVID is still around, but by and large, things seem to be back to normal and, and the live side of things are more or less taking off. How, how do you feel about things? Do you feel pretty positive about live music? I think the business is in great shape. I think there's a... I think we're in a period right now where there's so many artists that are releasing new music because they were all off cycle for the last two years together that now everyone's on cycle together and that's causing a lot of its own problems, whether that be with venue availability or with bus and crew availability. Uh, that's certainly something that we're seeing right now where there's, there's just not a lot of slack in the system. So if a bus breaks down, you got to fix that bus because there's not another one that's getting rushed out to you as it, as it would maybe pre COVID. Um, but that aside, it feels like the business is in a really good place. We're seeing huge tours across the board, a lot of competition out there, but the big tours are still the big tours. And I think people are excited to be back seeing live music. It's amazing. It's something that I don't think a lot of people, even people who play in bands or are familiar with music, I don't think they fully appreciated how big of a of a section of the music industry live music was until it was taken away. And that has been something really interesting to see. Like, you know, my parents, for example, they yeah, they they know that there was touring acts and live music, but I don't think they really knew how much of this industry needed live music still. I think that's certainly true. And I think on the other hand, I've, I've heard from a lot of civilians, if you will, people are that, that are outside of the music business that are just excited that music is back. I've had conversations with some of my neighbors about how many concerts they're going to and what they have tickets for and how much they miss being able to go out to shows, even if it's a couple times a year. Uh, it is cool to, to hear that feedback and just see it in person of, of people getting back to it. It's amazing. Well, probably should have started with this. I, I'm like a, it's like a Quentin Tarantino movie, Matt. We, we kind of go all around and as we tell our story. 
I'll follow you. Okay, that sounds good. For those listening that may not be familiar with you, what's kind of your bio and background and how did you get into being a booking agent today? I feel like I, I stumbled into being a booking agent. I got into music as a as a teenager, quickly figured out that I lacked any sort of musical talent and gravitated towards the business side of music and started putting on shows in my hometown and just getting involved in supporting music where I could. And that evolved from booking shows to going on tour with some friends to managing and booking bands and eventually settling as an agent. Uh, we, we launched Sound Talent Group in 2018 after Dave Shapiro, Tim Bohr, myself uh, spent a number of years at UTA and the agency group together. And we started this company just wanting to focus on really what what we liked doing and what we felt like we did best, which was super serving our clients and working with people and projects that we're passionate about. And that's been an awesome experience. And even during the pandemic of rebooking tours that never happened and everything else that we put up with, um, it's still a, a job that's super fulfilling and you know, I think when you work with people that you appreciate and care about, whether that's your your coworkers, your clients, it can really not feel like a job at all. It's amazing. What a gift. You know, I mean, it's it's so rare that people truly get to do something that they love doing for a job and a profession. So that's kind of the motivation for why you do what you do now. What was kind of the catalyst for you guys, the actual push? to start to go it alone and start your own agency? That's a good question. I think that we, the three of us each came from a very independent background, DIY, putting on shows, booking tours, just figuring it out as, as we go. And that's how we ended up in this business. It wasn't that we set out to be an agent. It just kind of happened, I think, for all of us. That was my background, certainly. And, and I came up through independent agencies. And as the agency group was acquired by United Talent Agency, it was just a whole other ballgame. Uh, and we we certainly learned a lot. And there was aspects of it that I thought were really cool and interesting. But there was also some aspects of working at a large company like that, that I missed uh, just some of the ability to be dynamic and some of the the strengths that we have being an independent agency to work on what we want and make some decisions on our own and you know without without it having to make sense necessarily in a bigger picture of the overall strategy of such a large company right the ability to move a little quicker um, like you said, you come from the DIY punk rock scene. That's that's great. So this has been, what, we're at eight months or so working together? Something like that? Nine months? Plus or minus? Yeah, sounds right. I don't know time anymore, Matt. I don't remember yesterday, let alone nine months ago. But yeah, with that said, it's been, you know, I knew about Sound Talent Group. I was aware of you guys. But getting to know you these past nine months, like I said, has been really cool to watch and to observe the growth of STG. You know, I told Dave, it's it's a pretty cool thing. You guys should be really proud of it. You took the plunge in 2018, 
the three of you to start something on your own. And now you have how many employees? A lot. A lot. Yeah. Thank you. It's, it's been, um, it's been cool and it's something that we're proud of. And I think we feel very passionate about as, as we see our roster develop and our, our staff develop and the opportunities that come along with working with someone like yourself. It's been very rewarding. It's amazing. It's, I mean, not to get too schmaltzy, but it truly is like the American dream. It's highly inspiring. And to those listening, you know, the people that listen to the show, you know, they're producers, engineers for sure, but we have people that listen to the show from all walks of life. And there is an entrepreneurial kind of business um, sense that all three of you possess that is not just inspiring for me, but I think is pretty inspiring for those listening. That's cool to hear. I, I think that we like to try and harness that. And when there's opportunities that that make sense or partnerships or whatever it may be, that's what I mean when I talk about being a bit more nimble and dynamic and being able to make decisions that I missed having. And it, it's really cool to be able to do that with a group of like-minded partners. And I think we have an awesome staff that's on board for so much to this as well, that it's, it's special what we've been building it over here. Yeah. And it's, there's a good lesson in, in all of this that, you know, when young people ask me or you like, how did you get to where you are now? And what should I do? What steps should I take to get to a similar place? You know, unfortunately there is no, I know they want like tactical, tangible answers. And I think there are some answers we can give people, but I think by and large, it's about the doing and just kind of following your North star and following that internal compass of what you enjoy doing and what brings you, you know, that light in life. And I think for you and myself as a, as a young person, I also came from playing in bands and, you know, I, I toured a little bit. I, I made some recordings. I'm a pretty fucking decent drummer, but that wasn't enough, you know? And like, I didn't set out thinking I would be a producer manager by any stretch of the imagination. I didn't even know what the hell that was back in the day. So I think there's a lesson for everyone here listening that you should really just kind of follow follow your nose and that, that it'll take you somewhere that maybe you didn't know even existed. I think that's good advice. I think just not being a jerk too yeah. is, is some advice that I got at an early age. Mike Faley, actually, who's president of, of Metal Blade Records, told me when I was still a teenager, he took a meeting with me and he told me, keep the amount of enemies that you have in this business on one hand, because this business is too small to be burning bridges left and right. You just won't won't last. And it's true. There's people that I've worked with early on in my career who I still work with today. And there's there's a lot of relationships that you build over time. And on the opposite side of that, I'm sure if you're out there burning bridges and making enemies, those people are going to be in your life for a long time and make your your job a lot more challenging. So I've always found that just trying to be a reasonable person yeah. uh, ha- has done me pretty well and has led to a lot less stress in my life than some other people that I've worked with and how they've chosen to chosen to navigate different situations. Yeah. And that's, it's something I noticed about the three of you, three of you being Tim, Dave, and yourself, that as much as you guys roast each other and you roast me and we're all kind of, we're competitive people by nature, but there, there is definitely a sense of wanting to take care of one another and to kind of do this together. That's the really cool thing about, I think, the music industry is that it's kind of based off the hang. And if you're not a good hang, like you, like, like you were saying, if you're not a good person, you don't treat people well, 
and you're not good to like kick it backstage or hang in the studio for days on end, it's just not going to work. Certainly. And I, I think that there's always going to be difficult conversations and scenarios that you find yourself in. And it's just a matter of how you handle those and navigate through them. I, I negotiate tours for my artists, right? And, and I'm going to pull far more offers than I ever confirm on a tour. And there's going to be some promoters that win a show and others that lose a show. And I think that is just a small example on a, on a day-to-day of how you handle those situations and make someone who's missing out on something they may really want, how that gets handled so that the next time you go and you're doing a deal with them, you don't have some baggage because you blew them off or you, you handled it poorly. Like, I think there's a million little things like that daily that come up in this business that you just treat people right. And that goes a long way in this business. I'll, I'll be vague here for our audience. Um, but there's something that the four of us were discussing the other day. I, I had made a comment that this topic made me quote uncomfortable. <laughs> it just made me feel a little wonky. And Tim had a good comment and good advice. He's like, well, you know, basically he encouraged me to try to work through that feeling and to be comfortable with the uncomfortable. It's not only going to help me, but it's going to help the people that I represent. I think you're right. It's like the day-to-day micro activities that we do, maybe you have to be a little bit more assertive and kind of get things done. But in the uh, the macro, you just got to be light and cool and, and a good hang. Certainly. And in the representation business, like my client's wishes and priorities, those are going to come first above everything, right? And you and I could have a disagreement over a situation and I'm going to argue to the mat on behalf of my client, but at the end of the day, like you can do that in a way that, you know, we'll go grab some drinks afterwards or, or whatever it may be. Like it's not always a situation where it's a completely zero sum game based on who wins or loses. Yeah. Well said. It, it just doesn't have to be. I mean, there's very few cases where it needs to be that. I think there's a way to, to get what you want for yourself and your client uh, without screwing the other person over. It just doesn't have to be that way. Do you remember the first band that you technically booked? The first client that I represented was a band called Four Today. Okay. They were at the time signed to Face Down Records, went on to sign with Razor and Tie. Yeah, it's interesting to think back when I started working with them because I think the business as a whole was in a much different place where bands were signed later and later. Some of my more recent signings haven't played a show yet. Whereas when I started working with Ford Today, they had been a band for four years at that point. They had been touring on their own for two years and they had just reached a position where they felt like they needed an agent, which is a, a pretty big change from where things stand today, where you're not touring without an agent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, with that said, can you kind of piggyback off that statement into this question, which is, when is the right time for a band to get an agent? I think that's an interesting question because I think a lot of artists are looking to assemble their team before they start playing shows or sometimes before they have more than a song or two out. And there's so much competition in this business right now that if you don't jump on that early, then you're not going to get in the mix with that artist. And as a result, you end up 
getting in business with bands that are still figuring out what they're trying to be and who they are. And they may not be ready to start touring. And there's some different strategy that goes into trying to just establish how, how to get started at that level. I don't think there's a single answer that fits across the board. I think it depends on, are you talking about an artist with members from other bands that have touring experience? Are you talking with kids fresh out of high school that have never left their hometown? I think every every artist is going to be a little different, but at the end of the day, if if there are people that want to see your band perform live, that's when I can come in and, and start to do my job. Right. And I, I think that that answer applies to every other position in the industry, whether it's an artist manager, a producer manager in my case, or label representation. I think, I mean, in many ways, you'll kind of know when the time is right. Like if you're having a hard time juggling all the pieces, then maybe it's time to get a manager. If you uh, are hitting, being hit up by labels and you need someone to kind of help broker that deal, then yeah, that's the time to have representation. But, you know, day two of being a band probably isn't the time to go look for a booking agent, a manager, and a label. You gotta, you gotta, like you said, write some songs and do your thing for a little bit. And you should probably know when the right time is to, to look for all the, those people. Yeah, certainly. And every situation is going to be different. And where, yep. where one artist, what, what their path looks like, isn't going to look the same for the other. And I think having having some patience and making those decisions always pays off in the long run where you're not rushing in to hire the first person that, that reached out to you or, or rush into touring when you haven't polished that live show enough mm-hmm. locally that you're not, that you're going to see returns from the investment of going out on the road and trying to make new fans. Right. Well, being a booking agent is it's such an interesting job you certainly know more about that than i do but from my perspective looking in on what you guys do it's like a lot of these positions in this industry where you're wearing a lot of hats and it's it really is a lot more than just routing dates and connecting venues to bands i mean that's the admin part that's the negotiation part you know accepting deals offers but there's probably a lot of um untangibles and things that people just don't know what it takes to be a great agent. In your opinion, what are some of the things that make a great booking agent? I think the biggest thing outside of the nuts and bolts of booking tours and and tracking down opportunities is when you're able to really understand what an artist's vision is for their work and and where they want to go. And you can help them navigate to get to that place. And that can that can take many different shapes and forms. I think having a, just a vision for the roadmap of an artist is, is what I like to figure out with all of my clients of what, what their goals are and, and where they want to head musically. And how do we start, how do we start laying that foundation to build their career based on that? And whether that be positioning them with a certain type of artist so that we can start pushing them more into that world or playing certain festivals that are more tastemaker festivals in order to find more opportunities for them in, in different areas. I think a lot of that strategy is a key part of the job that doesn't always show up on paper when you say, oh, what does a booking agent do? Well, I, I book shows. 
Right. Yeah. There's 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 just so much involved. This is <laughs> this is something I, I always wonder. Do your parents have a good grasp on what you do? Would you say? No. No. My my night mine either. I, my dad's. I think he still thinks I I own a record label or something. You know, like hey, here's a great band you should sign. <laughs> like that's not really what I do. <laughs> you know, it took it took a minute for them to even have some semblance of a, an idea of what I do. I think my mom has a better idea. She likes to look up my roster whenever I, if I call her and I'm driving to a show, she likes to do a deep dive on whatever show I'm going to. And then the next time we talk, she that's very sweet. tells me yeah. everything about them. <laughs> You're like, yeah, mom, I know. Right. <laughs> but I do think that 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 is a common question that I get of, oh, so you're a booking agent. Do you book? I think a lot of people assume that that means I book a, a venue mm. or I book like regional artists to right. where I live. Uh, and that usually takes some explanation of, well, I have a roster of clients and most of which I book for the world, excluding Europe and lay it out a bit more. But yeah, I don't expect everyone to understand the, the ins and outs of it. Yeah. You should never expect that because they'll never know, even if you try. <laughs> I think we kind of uh, visit this up top of this conversation, but I, I'll, I'll kind of make it a little bit more directive a question to you what is your vibe for the state of the union of the music industry are you hopeful for things moving forward do you think it's a complicated time do you think it's the most lucrative time moving forward how do you feel i feel good i don't know that i'm willing to make any bold proclamations based on what we see today i think that we're going to enter an area of maybe a bit more price sensitivity coming out of the lockdowns and the break from touring, we saw a pretty large jump in ticket prices. And for the most part, I, I don't think that that's been an issue, at least for the, the good tours. People are willing to pay that. But I do think that is going to be a, a more frequent topic that we hear moving forward with concerns about the economy mm -hmm. and what, what ticket prices look like. Because we'll see it with tours that are maybe a little slow that the minute you discount tickets, they're selling. And I think there's there's just sensitivity to that right now. And I think that'll be a, a frequent topic. But overall, I think the business is in really good shape. I think that there's a lot of new and exciting music. It feels like there's new headliners that are emerging. I think we'll continue to to see growth in in the live business. I don't I don't know. I, I, overall, I, I think I'm in a very positive place with where Good. where the business stands. That's great. And what about the other corners of of the music industry, the production, recording side, the the selling of assets? You know, obviously, we're not selling physical CDs or cassettes or vinyl anymore. Um, it's it's predominantly a streaming industry now. Do you feel Do you feel hopeful that there's a lot of wins to be had in that? I do. I think that there's changes, but there's constantly changes and yeah. you adapt and evolve and how you operate and, and where the money comes from. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that what we're seeing right now is any different than what we've seen in the past in the sense that there's a bit of a disruption or a change in the way that, that things are have historically been done. But I don't think that's necessarily a, a bad thing. And at the end of the day, I think it, it starts and ends with the music and there's a lot of good music getting put out right now. I agree. I'm, I'm, I'm more and more hopeful than I've ever 
been. <laughs> like, I, I feel like there's potentially a lot of money for everyone to make, a lot of opportunities. The gatekeepers, um, in many ways, aren't as many as there used to be. There certainly still are gatekeepers, but you know, by and large, you can start a band, you can start a podcast, you can go make a movie with your buddies, you can you can start a YouTube channel. There's a lot of opportunity that didn't exist before. But with that wide net of opportunity, um, I think the skilled and the talented are going to rise. <laughs> um, and I think that's in all facets of not just the music industry, just everything. Um, I, you know, and I'm not just talking about the artist. I mean, people like me, people like you, people on the other side of the industry, the more administrative, supportive, uh, representing client side, you know, the, the talented, even in that side are going to rise. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. I'm really, I'm pretty hopeful and it feels, that feels good because that's the job we have. <laughs> Agreed. I, I think the barrier to entry has been lowered yep. and I think that's going to increase competition at the end of the day. I think that's a good thing. And as you said, the, the cream will rise to the top. Yeah. It would have been a lot tougher for me to to start stateside management in the 1990s, I think, um, you know, pre pre internet, the way that we all have internet, I, I guess technically I could have done it, but like I would have definitely had to be in LA. I would have had to intern for years. I, you know, like that whole uh, ladder of chain of custody to to get to where I am today. Um, so yeah, I'm very thankful for that, and I'm I'm very aware of it. Um, have you ever seen the Defiant Ones, Matt? The documentary. I have. That's like one of my. Oh, you're, he's giving me a, a handshake, like a, a not a so so, yeah, a so so. But if we're about to go uh, deep on that, okay, I'm not fully versed. Yeah, in it's, it to answer any questions. Oh, it's one of my it's one of my faves. Um, well, anyway, the the reason I bring it up, you don't you don't have to adore it to understand my point. Uh, it's an interesting documentary. I think if you are interested in music, working in music in any capacity, you should watch it. There's a lot of lessons to be learned. You know, Jimmy Iovine and Dr. Dre couldn't have come from more different backgrounds. And Jimmy Iovine even started much earlier in the 70s. He was a, a record producer in the classic sense. You know, he, he was an engineer, kind of interned as an engineer, worked his way up, worked with John Lennon, Bruce Springsteen, Tom Petty, Fleetwood Mac, and then he becomes a, a label ex executive that that's a whole planet where he, he you know he's running one of the biggest labels in the world partners up with dr dre and fast forward to current times they sell beats by dre for like one billion dollars <laughs> and there's just so much the reason i bring it up is there's just so much change in the industry especially for jimmy iovine's timeline and dr dre's but especially jimmy's where it it was a different industry when he first started in so many ways. It was reel to reel, vinyl only. Then he saw it to go to cassette. Then he saw it go to CD. Then he saw it go to digital and then Napster ruined everything. So they thought. And for guys like that to kind of sit in the pocket and just be patient, um, I think it's pretty inspiring. So yeah, a lot of lessons to be learned in that documentary. Highly recommend it. Right. Ch check it out again. Give it, give it another chance. That uh, that pivots me to some other questions here, Matt. Other than music, because, you know, we're all kind of workaholics and this is um, our favorite thing to talk about when we're together. 
What are some of your other interests? I, I know of one hobby that you really love. I'm a big golfer. You are? Certainly. Two questions. How often are you committing time to that hobby? And then secondly, how good are you? I play as much as I can fit in. You know, usually I'm going to get out every weekend and play. Okay. And how good I am varies week to week. Yeah. Around to round. Yeah. And when you go out, are you playing? There's no way you're playing a full 18, right? That's like all day. It depends on how much time I have in the day. You know, there's a, there's a lot of commitments in my life between work and family and everything else. So sure, sure, sure. I get in what I can. <laughs> gotcha. Um, is that something you started as a, as a young lad or did you get into that later in life? No, I, I played golf as a kid. I played junior golf, played golf um, in high school. And then as I got into music, I quit everything and, and just did music and didn't play through most of my twenties and got back in, in a big way in my late twenties. And it's just become a, a really awesome outlet for me. There's a lot of different aspects of golf that I like, but I, I find it as a time to really decompress and toss my phone in my bag and yeah. check out for a couple hours. And I generally try to walk uh, when I have the time. I, I like just getting out there and playing by myself and walking the course is a real Matt's happy place. Yeah, But I, I like playing with people. I like like to try to mix in golf when I travel. If I'm going out to cover a show or meeting up with some clients who golf. Like it's a great, great hobby to have in my life that I, I'm really glad that I got back into it when I did. That's amazing. Would you say it's an expensive hobby? I think it's as expensive as you want it to be. If you want to be playing all the latest stuff and playing the high-end courses, the sky's the limit on on what you can spend on it. But you could also play your local muni and play on some older clubs and, and get a lot out of it too. I think it's it's up to you of, of what you want from the game. Yeah, I, I kind of played when I was young. I lived in the desert in California for a brief time, like a year and a half, maybe two years in La Quinta, which is like totally golf central out there. So I played golf and tennis a little bit as a kid. So in my division in high school, La Quinta was, was in our division and they would beat us every year. Mm, that makes sense. I mean, that is like what you do out there if you're a kid growing up in La Quinta or your Palm yep. Desert, Palm Springs, that whole area. Yeah. So you have, you are, you are a father and the seasons are upon us, Halloween and Christmas. Is this a time that you tend to slow down a little bit and, and look inward and spend some time with your, your family? Or do you find that that doesn't really exist in what we do? And you you just plow through all year. It certainly exists. We're not there yet. This is about as busy as it gets. I think September has really become peak season hmm. for me. Everyone's working, basically. It's it's been crazy. There's a lot of travel. There's a lot of tours kicking off, tours ending. It's it's been pretty nonstop. We do get a nice break in December. We'll close down the office for two weeks between Christmas and New Year's and throw a few days on on either end. Yeah, That's really nice because that's the industry as a whole shutting down, which is easier to take time off and really decompress because you're not getting bombarded with calls and emails because everyone else is working. Uh, so that is definitely a time that I appreciate and really look forward to that downtime and use it, use it as a, a chance to travel and try to do something to recharge the batteries ahead of kicking off the next year. Yeah, I love I love the the time that we're approaching here. We're we're still 
kind of in the in the late summer days. But yeah, I I love Halloween, love Christmas, big dork for it. Are you a horror movie fan? I am big Halloween guy. Yeah. Okay. Good. I I was uh, I didn't remember if you mentioned that before. Um, we watch my wife and I watch so many horror movies, all of the horror movies. We are big horror movie dorks, big Halloween dorks. What are some of your favorite horror movies? Or even just a, a type of horror movie that you like the most. Genre-wise, I'm a zombie guy. Yeah, dude. Fuck yeah. Dawn of the Dead. Something about the concept I really get into. The idea that yeah. I could be faced with such a scenario. Right. Uh, a lot I of metaphors, it. too. Yeah. A lot of metaphors. Um, one of my favorite, it's it's more of a comedy, I suppose, but it's Shaun of the Dead. That's like, mm, what a perfect movie that is. Quality it's, movie. Quality movie. Yeah, any of the blank of the deads are typically a good way to go 20 days later okay well let's get into it to you is a zombie technically like a slow moving someone that came back from the dead or is it like in 20 days later where it's like they have a virus and they're moving really fast and crazy is that a zombie to you i'm willing to take some liberties on what we classify as a zombie so i'm fine to count it good man yeah there's a lot of zombie dorks out there matt that they will not apply that rule. I'm curious, the, the person listening to this right now that's going to mix and edit this, she's a huge horror movie fan, and I'm curious what they say. <laughs> I'll just say that. One last question here as we start winding this sucker down here, Matt. Should I get in Dave Shapiro's plane? Answer. Go ahead. Currently, no, because the engine isn't working, so I wouldn't recommend it. Right, 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 right. That's not going to work. Do you have any terrifying stories of flying with Dave? Dave is a great pilot. Yeah. What concerns me about Dave is he's so cool and collected in flying that even if we were about to go down... You wouldn't know it. You wouldn't know. Right. Yeah. He'll just say like, yeah, yeah, for, for sure, for sure. Yeah, the, the engines, engine one died for sure. We'll, we'll sort it out. We'll sort that out. And meanwhile, you're just plummeting to your death. It's concerning. <laughs> But Dave, Dave's a good pilot. Uh, I, I have flown with him a lot, none recently. We had a, we were flying back from a show into San Diego and the fog had rolled in off the coast and we were having trouble landing due to visibility. So we had circled the airport a few times. And I think we were on our, our third pass around when there was a little opening in the clouds and Dave said, I think we can go for it, Yeah, which is never what you want to hear. Not from your pilot. And we popped down through the clouds and there was the runway and we weren't quite lined up with it and a quick maneuver and we landed safely and we all were catching our breath and Dave turned and said, what? what? That was fine. <laughs> we got out of the plane and the night security guard at the airport came driving over and said, that's the craziest landing I've ever seen here. Oh my God. Was your wife with you? She was not. Well, it's just a matter of time. I mean, since I've known Dave or been working with Dave, you know, the opportunities come up a few times and for whatever reason, it just didn't happen. But that was the plan. I was going to fly with him. He was going to fly me from Santa Ana back to Portland. It didn't work out that way for whatever reason. I had to meet some, whatever, right? But it seems inevitable that if I work with him and he's co-owner of the business with me, it seems inevitable. So, you know. Dave's a great pilot. He's a you great know, pilot. We, He's a great We dude. landed. Yeah, you're alive. To the point of, of Dave being too cool. Yeah. You contrast his uh, opinion on that landing versus the guy who works at the airport and watches planes land. Right. Now, do you think that's just Dave being 
a good uh, a good salesman. He's he's negotiating that interaction. Is do you think he was actually worried? No. Do you think he actually thought? Okay, so you think it was legitimate? It's probably all fine. I mean, we landed. I'm here today. Right. Right. Yeah, I think that's probably what it is. Like for him, he's like that ain't no thing. But you guys are the ones. You see, I think a lot of this is about control. Like I I drive everywhere I go. I'm so rarely a passenger anywhere, and so. That's that's what I don't like about flying. It's not so much the the flying part. Sure, that's not great. It's not my favorite thing in the world. But by and large, it's because I'm not the one in charge. So I think that's that's what does it for me. It's a control thing. It's I yeah. I hate to admit it. I mean, it's not like I want to control the world, but I I know that if I possess the ability to fly, I trust myself. But I think that's that's what you're trying to say is Dave's a good pilot. He's the one that knows. He's done the gazillion hours of flying. Dave is an instructor. So if you needed to learn to fly so you could fly yourself, that's not gonna he's happen your guy. Anytime soon. Have you been in his helicopter? No. And are you going to? I see no need. <laughs> yeah. Well, seems inevitable to go up to his house in Alaska and go chase moose with his helicopter. Maybe that's a need. Maybe, yeah. You know, I just, I feel like it'd be stupid to say no to these things because how cool is that, right? You're like, you're with your buddy, he's got a plane and the hell, and you get to tell people about these stories. But I, I also don't want to be that statistic. See, that's how narcissistic I am. I think that I'm going to be the that statistic. It's, this got dark. Yeah, well, welcome to the podcast, Matt. We get dark on this show. Uh, dude, this has been fun. This is, this is what we do. We just chit chat and, uh, People from all walks of life check out our show, so I appreciate the time. Is there anything you want to plug? Any social media handles you want people to know about? No, this has been super cool. I appreciate you having me on, and oh yeah, stoked to be in business with you, and proud of everything that you've got going on. And it's it's cool to get up and get to uh, chop it up with you. Damn sure, I'm proud of everything we've got going on, Matt. We are doing this together now, my man. Super super stoked to to partner with the three of you. It's been a dream come true. Very happy. Feels good. Well, thanks for having me. All right, homie. Have a good night. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Gray Street.